first match. Wasn't it your first match of the season? First match of the season. First match in a while. I mean, stiff is how I'd sum myself up 24 <laughs> hours afterwards. Played singles and doubles. So team tennis, formerly known as National Club League. So we all just call it NCL. Kicked off this year. My club, the best club. It's Cumberland, of course. So we were all there raring to go. But beginning of the season is a shock to the system. It really is. We were all messaging each other today. Just <laughs> one person just said, oh, my bum. <laughs> Would you have expected to be as stiff as you were? Is it normal to be as stiff as you are? Yes, absolutely. <laughs> because I don't play. <laughs> I just don't play often enough. I haven't played singles since November. And I've maybe played a couple of doubles, friendly doubles since then. But really, I just I just don't play. And then somehow I turn up to the match and I just think that I can still play how I used to play and just start blasting serves all over the place with not a care in the world for how my body's going to feel uh, even just later on in the match. So, yeah, I'm just not on court that much. So I was always going to be extraordinarily <laughs> stiff and I get it's it's always specific, specific places so it's my left shoulder of course because I just don't serve for months on end and then I think <laughs> oh yeah I'm still top 200 and just nail my serve over and over again for four hours uh, so that is a bit of a killer and I'm telling you a set into the doubles just gave up like my arm just gave up I was hitting my serves so slowly I couldn't make a first serve because I had no racket speed I just was rolling in these serves and then just saying to my partner who is at the net good luck <laughs> so I got broken a few times in the second set um so you know, my shoulder's really bad and then my right bum cheek particularly the right bum cheek because that's from landing on the serve so you end up essentially going from having done not a lot of fitness apart from jogging every now and then to <laughs> every time you land on the serve you're basically doing a single leg squat so in the day I ended up doing probably 150 single leg squats just on one leg just the one leg so I've got one very very tight bum muscle <laughs> the other one's all right <laughs> and then in general my core is very stiff because I don't do any core anymore I do a bit of kind of aerobic stuff and running and maybe some boxing and this, that and the other, but I don't do any core anymore. So that is painful to laugh. So this could be a, a particularly painful podcast. Did you think about doing an underarm serve at any point when your shoulder was <laughs> screaming stop? <laughs> um, did I think about doing an underarm serve? You know, I didn't because we were playing on carpet and it's really fast. So I was uh, just kind of... I can just put a load of junk on my serve. You know what? Nick Boliteri said it to me when I first started training with him when I was a teenager. He said, you just put a load of junk on your serve, even you don't know which way it's going to bounce. And I said, yep, I kind of agree with that. <laughs> I just put a load of spin on it, a load of racket speed, and then just something happens. So I was kind of just doing that as best I could. And so the carpet really takes the lefty swinger really well. So it was, it was kind of okay. But uh, yeah, it was a fun day, but I'm really sore. So big shout out to my, my Cumberland ladies. Got off to a, a winning start this season. 
I think the biggest shout out to your doubles partner if midway oh. through your doubles match <laughs> your shoulder just said and I'm done <laughs> yeah we both had dips because both of us it was our first match for a while so we both had certain sections so there was a period of time where she's got unbelievable volleys she's so good at the net I mean so much better than me and uh she uh yeah her her volleys kind of uh, disappeared for a little while <laughs> I don't think she'll mind me saying that uh, but then they came back they came back with a vengeance they were back and they were brilliant and uh, my serve disappeared and did not return so how does it work how does your season how does this league work how how many matches are you playing how stiff are you going to be is it going to get any better and are you going to win the whole thing well the whole so we play in regions so it's the southeast region which is ours so you play that in a league and you've got some really strong teams with with London. And then you have all the different regions. They all play their leagues. And then basically you have to get to a certain position. So if you win the league, you go straight through to the national finals. If you come second, third or fourth, you go into a playoff and you play against other people who came second in their league from around the country. And then if you get through that or if you win the league, which is what we did last year, so we won that got straight through then everybody goes down to Bournemouth in September to play off for the national finals so we're kind of normally in with a mix there's basically one team that is just really really good and uh, that's the the difficulty (laughs) because they just win it every year (laughs) so we won it I think we won it three years in a row I might be wrong on that. Might be two years in a row. Our captain listens to this, so she, she'll correct me if I'm wrong. I think we won it three years in a row and then we've lost the last four because this one team has, has won it all the time. But it's really good fun. So we all go down to Bournemouth for the weekend and have a nice time. And so it finishes in September. So it's April to September, which is great. Now, by contrast, when you were doing 150 single leg squats, I was in quarantine. So I, I had a I had a very different weekend to you. Uh, nothing aches, uh, but one of the twins does itch quite a lot because chickenpox has arrived in the household. So Indian Wells Miami finishes. I think oh I've got a I've got a few days now just to sort of relax and spend time with the twins. And then a couple of spots appear, and what you do is you think it's definitely not that. So you kind of you know, pull the socks up or put long sleeve tops on them. Just sort of semi-ignore it. If they're good in themselves, you think, no, no, it's fine. It's just a couple of spots. And you kind of know what it is deep down. So off you went to, to preschool where there was a big sign on the door saying in the last week or so, there has been a case of chickenpox. And still you're in denial thinking, no, it's just a spot. It's fine. And then he woke up the next morning and I thought, oh, this <laughs> is it's actually quite a lot of them. The, the good thing is he hasn't been feverish or ill so I think we've had the best possible chicken pox scenario well we've still got the possibility that his brother could catch it and that could be the worst case but we've had not a lot of itching we've had it's been pretty good he's been in good form but we were sort of quarantined for a couple of days when they're very contagious and you you don't want to take them out or if you do have to go out you kind of wrap them up from head to toe because you don't want anyone to see the spots he's like mom I'm quite hot, you know, you, you need the hat and the scarf and the polo neck and, and the boots and basically cover them top to toe for like a little journey out. So we've, um, I think we're coming through it with with one of them around the other side. I, but I basically spent, yeah, I spent the weekend sort of chasing him around the house trying to spray lotion on him that he didn't want on him. So I, I didn't have a, I didn't have a sore bum or a sore shoulder. I was just, I was just chasing a spotty child around the house. But doesn't everybody get it at some point? 
in their childhood. Yeah, I think so. Uh, this is very not tennis or ish. When people have chicken pox parties, when I was texting a friend and said, it was actually Miles McLagan. I was texting Miles and I said that one of the boys had chicken pox and and he was all set to bring his daughter around. And I think Barry Cowan's children have got it at the same time. So he was working out where to go. So because people like their children when they're little to get it and get it out the way. Why? Because it's, I think it's worse as you get older. Oh, okay. Yes, it's been, it's been a nice relaxing time since Miami. Oh, well, I'm sorry. It's not the most fun, is it? Now we're all building up to getting ready to play on the clay Mm. and I wanted to talk about this week just basically about the clay in general so firstly how did you feel as a player going onto the clay courts from the hard courts you know I surprisingly quite enjoyed the clay and I say surprisingly because clay what's the what's the biggest quality that do you think that a player needs on clay sliding oh sliding oh so movement what else would you say? I think you're right. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> uh, movement's got to be a huge thing and maybe a little bit of stamina because you can be out there for an awful long time. Right, exactly. So those two things, not what I was known for. <laughs> I was probably known for <laughs> having pretty poor movement and no stamina uh, whatever, whatsoever. So, so that's why I say surprisingly I was quite good on clay I had a good record on clay I won a challenger event on the clay and uh, yeah I felt pretty good I I didn't play on it that often because I didn't really want to <laughs> I, don't, I don't think I necessarily enjoyed it but how come why didn't you play on it if you're winning a challenger on clay and you had a pretty good record on clay why didn't you play on clay had you just convinced yourself mentally that you were no good on clay so you didn't play on clay? Yeah, because people would just tell me that I wasn't very good on clay because I just wasn't fit enough. Uh, so you just kind of say, okay, fine, I'll just play on fast surfaces then. It's a good thing the WTA Tour has a lot of fast surfaces. <laughs> That's really helpful. <laughs> uh, you, you're a bit more stuffed if you're on the, the ATP. They have a lot more, there's a lot more tournaments on clay. But <laughs> yeah, so I was like, okay, fine. You know, I'm not going to lie. It's just, it's just too much hard work over and over again. <laughs> on clay so as a player what would your preparations have been coming into the clay court season what what would you have done to get yourself well you're probably going to say well I would have worked on my movement and my stamina (laughs) (laughs) but what specific things would you have done what would any player do to adapt themselves and get ready for the clay well the main thing is the movement so feeling under your feet because you're obviously you're not on a stable surface so you're on a, a moving surface I don't want to call it a slippery surface because as we discussed last time, if when I teach you how to slide on clay, if you slide on a floorboard, you're basically slipping. You don't really have any control. But if you slide on a clay court, you actually do have some control. So it's not it's not slipping. It's not slippery. It's a moving surface. So getting used to that under your feet is the most important thing. So just getting on the clay and just moving around. Even if you're not really hitting, you don't have to hit. If you want a day off hitting, that's fine. But just kind of doing some sliding some sprints, some sl- some stopping, some movement drills. That's probably the main thing. We're going to change the when to if because there's no when you teach me to slide or we go out and slide around on a clay court. I th- that, <laughs> that's definitely in the if that ever happens and that, that might not happen. Is I would always think if if I would if if we did this thing out there, I'd be worried about 
I just would be worried about the movement. I'd be worried about the ankles. I'd be worried about turning something. I'd, I'm not sure I would have the confidence because you've almost got to forget what you're doing. I mean, the, the, the players who are the best at it out the world, let's just throw out the Rafa Nadal for a start with the, the women. Let's give you Simona. It's quite good. Simona Halep. I'd give them but a solid seven. They don't, even, they don't even think about it. They don't even think about what they're doing. The movement just happens. Yeah. And I think... I would be just too aware of what I was doing with my movement. Yeah. And I mean, look, there are different levels. I wouldn't really be starting at such an ambitious way and say, well, this is how Rafa does it. Why don't you try? I think you've got to, you've got to aim high. No, you've got to. You've got, you had people telling you that your movement and stamina were no good. So I think we've got to do the opposite. We've got to start at the very top. Well, I have to say, can I, can I just clarify that when people said that my movement and stamina were no good, I didn't disagree with them. I was just saying that they, they kept saying it. <laughs> <laughs> they weren't wrong they just kept saying it <laughs> we just needed to do something about it which uh, was to not play on clay so <laughs> big dick you know look it's not always about how hard you work you've got to work smart so that was a very smart decision when it came to scheduling it's like we could cut out 30 percent of work <laughs> if we just don't play on this surface very often how on earth did you win a challenger on clay and have such a good record on clay. Well, you know, one of my one of my best wins in terms of matches that I can remember was the second round of that challenger. I beat Lara Arua Barena, who is a proper dirt baller. She is so good on clay, and it was one of the most brutal matches I've ever played in and ever won. I, I that was probably my best clay court performance. Clay is really interesting because particularly within British tennis, and I know we have a lot of British listeners, and I'd be interested to see with some of our international listeners that are involved in junior tennis, whether this is the same around the world. We have such a fixation with our juniors on playing on clay. They need to learn how to play on clay. They need to get out on clay. Clay's going to teach them discipline and clay's going to do all of this stuff for them. And for me, it's nonsense. Clay teaches you how to play on clay. So it teaches you how to slide, teaches you how to move, it teaches you how to play on clay. And yes, playing on clay is a more disciplined way, but anyone can learn discipline on any surface. Roger Federer grew up playing on a carpet court. It's one of the quickest around. He's very disciplined. So it's, it's for me, it's not really uh, the, the right way to go about things. And I feel like it's the coach's job to teach discipline. And I feel like it's a quite a lazy coach to say, oh, just go play on clay for a couple of years and you'll learn how to be disciplined. I kind of disagree with that. If movement is such a great thing and such an essential thing in tennis, which it is, then surely learning to play on a surface where it's largely about movement is good because you can take that to the other surfaces that you play on. No, it, no, because it, it teaches you how to move on clay and it's completely different moving on clay, uh, how to, to slide and stop the fact that you can play on the move. Basically, you don't have to slow down as early on a clay court. You can completely sprint out wide to a ball and because you can slam on the brakes with the slide um, and time that perfectly, you can actually essentially move quicker. So that's why it's easier for people to chase down drop shots on a clay court than it is on a grass court because you can just slide to slow down. So you can just sprint, 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 sprint until the very last second, then slam on the slide and then play nicely as you're sliding through. Whereas if you're playing on a grass court, you've got to sprint, but you, you've got to slow down. You've got to slam on the brakes. You've got to hit the ground hard to stop yourself. And you have to do it a bit earlier, basically. So it's a completely different movement pattern for me. And I just don't believe that it necessarily translates into other 
courts. I've not I've not seen it do that. But when it comes to movement, you've got different levels of sliding as well. You've got Maria Sharapova, who won French Open and didn't really slide very much. She now can slide a bit, but she just thought, well, I'll just belt it. And that kind of works on any surface. So she did. <laughs> and it was it was great. And on the in the women's game, you can do that a little bit more. You really can hit through it. We just we've just seen the winners um well the winner we've got Madison Keys just won out in Charleston and Kiki Burton's won it last year. So you have these big hitters that can blast their way through. But when it comes to movement, you have on the women's side particularly, you have those that don't slide. Doesn't really happen on the men. I can't think of a single ATP player that doesn't slide at least to some sort of competency <laughs> whereas there are a few of the women who really just look at it and go what on earth is this <laughs> this is this is not my bag so you have a few players that can't really slide at all and as I say Sharapova won French Open so you know it's it's, it's not a not a huge deal uh, then you have players that have learned to slide later in life so this is what say Brits do this is what maybe Russians would do some of the Eastern Europeans because they tend to grow up playing half of their year on clay half of their year on fast courts Brits don't tend to play on clay very much at all Americans tend to do half and half so I put the Americans in there as well they tend to slide after they hit the shot so the people who can slide they can move on a clay court but not particularly well or efficiently so um well, I mean, I look, I can pick Joanna Conta, for example. She can slide. She's pretty strong, actually, on a slide. But she can't slide into a shot. She can only slide after the shot, which takes an awful lot longer to change direction. And then you've got those that were just born, born on the clay, born and raised, the Spanish, the South Americans, or anybody who's trained in those sorts of environments. So you, we're looking at your Raffers, your Halleps. They move on the clay so effortlessly and so efficiently that their advantage against you is so strong because if you have a contest... So, for example, the main match I'm thinking of is when GB played Romania in Fed Cup. We got Fed Cup coming up, our, our tie again at home at the Copper Box. Can't wait against Kazakhstan. But I'm pretty confident they're not going to lay a clay court. <laughs> <laughs> Just say That would be very surprising. Yeah, it would be, wouldn't it? Um, yeah, they're, they're probably going to go with some sort of hard. Anyway, uh, so Conta played Halep in Romania on clay court and that was where you really could see the big difference and if you if you want I mean you look you can look at the highlights it'll be up on YouTube or whatever and it is just worth I mean you, in five minutes you'll be able to see the difference both can slide well but the movement that Halep has on the clay it's just like as you say second nature it's just like breathing she just understands it so much better whereas Contas is just a lot more thought out because she hasn't been raised on clay courts her whole life she's played predominantly on hard courts and it's a very very different movement on a hard court uh you know you, you have to slam the brakes on at different times and it's a huge disadvantage because you could see so they'd be they'd be rallying and you could see Halep sliding into the shot hits the shot and then two steps recover slides into the shot hits the shot two steps recover whereas Conta would be running hitting the shot then sliding then has to recover so the amount of ground you lose shot after shot after shot she just couldn't keep up because the space just gets bigger and bigger for Halep who looks like she's barely having to stretch at all so why is it seen 
are such a big thing and talked about such a big thing when a young player, I remember Jared Donaldson, the American, they said, oh, well, he's going to be different because he went to South America and he grew up on the clay and he did all his movement down there. It is looked at such a, a big thing when you talk about young players. Oh, well, he went out to Barcelona to train when he was young and she went over to do this. It is seen or at least talked about something that's quite important to the development of a player if they have spent time, a lot of time, on clay courts. Yeah, and I just don't really get it. I think it's like an old school sort of view. It's this whole discipline thing, you know? It's a, yeah, get out on the court and just work and just work like this, just do the Spanish drills out of the basket and just over and over and over again. And and look, that absolutely has a place in the world of tennis. You know, I did my, I was going to say I did my fair share of it, but I may have skimped on it ever so slightly I I did a bit (laughs) I dipped my toe I did a bit it was enough (laughs) but it is important to a certain extent but it's just um, I don't understand in this country and as I say I'm not entirely aware of what it is around the, the world but I don't understand in this country our obsession with it if we have a a player that plays in a clay court fashion they have a they have a build and a game that is suited to clay court tennis, which firstly, I don't really know how you're ever going to get that if you've grown up in the UK. But say you have, say you're, you want to be David Ferrer and that is how you play. That is your, and also your mentality. That is it. And actually you could maybe pick out Jared Donaldson here and say that his game is a bit of a clay court game. The Americans tend to play 50-50. So he probably did spend a good chunk of time on clay when he was younger, but not every single day. His game is more suited to that style. So for him going to South America is a brilliant idea. It's great. And, uh, you know, even somebody like Andy Murray going to Spain to train on the clay. Brilliant because his game was quite defensive when he was young. So it it was quite well suited to the clay. It's transpired that he's actually better on other surfaces. And again, that is, for me, it's because when you're in your formative years between the age of four when people probably start playing tennis and 14, if you've been playing on indoor hard, fast courts, that's never going to leave you. And for somebody like Andy Murray, I actually think he's better. He's better on hard. He's better on grass than he is on the other surfaces, even though he spent that time training in Spain. You are never going to catch up Rafa Nadal. You're never going to catch up those sorts of players that have somebody like a Halep who's just grown up on it. Kazakina as well. You just can't do it because they they are absolute specialists. However, you can get to the point that you can beat a lot of people on the clay. And that's where I felt like I kind of got to, I suppose. with I could beat a lot of the Eastern Europeans and, and the Americans and players that played 50% of their time on clay. I felt like I was up there with them because my game, I had a very heavy forehand and that really helped. So that was good but I mean no chance that was why beating Arua Barena was so phenomenal for me because I mean this girl just lives and breathes it Um, but that was the only one I never beat anybody else who was just a genuine clay quarter everybody else was just kind of all right I'm thinking you should have played more on clay I'm thinking if I'd been part of your coaching team I would have been that little voice saying come on Cavaday you can do it you can play on clay but the thing is is that you have to I, I get what you're saying but you have to understand the impact that it has on your game. 
So I had a, my biggest weapon was my lefty swinger and my serve. I go on a clay court, it's completely neutralized. My lefty swinger doesn't swing. My pacey serve, the energy gets sucked out of the court. So they're going to return much better. So I'm not going to waste my energy by thumping serves all the time. Like, you know, you somebody like a Rafa, why bother? I mean, he's, he can, he's pretty strong, but on the clay court, he's, ha- he's just going to slide it into the body, set up the point, and then he's going to work from there because there's no point in wasting the energy. You can't just slam aces down unless you are absolutely huge, you know, one of the, the big guys. And even they will feel that their serve gets uh, somewhat neutralised. And if I go and spend a year playing on clay, then by the end of that year, I wouldn't have my effective serve anymore so yes I may have built up my weaknesses and my movement will be better and my stamina will be better and I can play better and move better on clay but I've now just lost a weapon which was my big serve and that's a really big deal you you don't want to do that and then suddenly you end up being kind of average at everything so I mean in simple terms in your case it just wasn't worth it well I I also didn't want to (laughs) Which is a which is a big factor, right? It's a big thing. You've got to want to do it. It's it was it was very hard. It was very hard. It is. It's tiring. It's physical, and it wasn't natural to me. I could slide quite well, but nowhere near the the top end. And if I played anybody who was really good on clay, I had no chance. I just had no chance. So you would. If we got out on a tennis court, you would only teach me to slide quite well. <laughs> oh, well, yeah, exactly. <laughs> That's it. I, you sound disappointed. I'm sorry. <laughs> well, I think if I'm going to get out there, I mean, I'm going to be sliding very well. <laughs> Not come off quite well. <laughs> I love your ambition with it. Okay, tell you what, we'll, we'll look at some videos of Rafa sliding and we'll try and replicate that. Okay. okay. I, I, it, it, by the way, it's still an if, not a when. Did you ever swear on court or in a press conference? Oh. I mean, I don't think I've ever heard you swear. I'm just, I'm actually trying to think. We've spent an awful lot of time together. I don't mean on air because that, you shouldn't do that. But (laughs) I don't think I've ever actually heard you swear. Really? At all. Have I? I don't think so. Do you swear? I do a lot, yeah. It's actually quite annoying. Sometimes it's just unnecessary. Like I'll just be sitting at home on the sofa with Ben and I'll just just put in swear words just into a normal sentence and he's like what are you doing are you are you angry or something? <laughs> normally people kind of swear if they're annoyed or what I just I just kind of throw it in there no I love to swear the awful thing is when you've got children and they start to sort of get it and understand and you're saying something and, and suddenly you swear and you're like ah uh. And you just turn and they're looking at you, this sort of innocent look with the sort of big eyes and a grin. You're thinking, oh, no, <laughs> that's gone in there. They're like little sponges. That's gone in there mm. somewhere. So you, you're always having to, if suddenly you, you swear and you're like, oh, no. And it just happens to be one of them's around. So I think I do a bit. People, um, I think I swore once at... Um, and I was working at Chelsea. It was out in the office. I don't think it was in an angry fashion. You know, sometimes you just... you There's a swear word in a sentence. And the look of shock from everybody, like, I didn't think you swore. <laughs> and I, I, I you don't, swear. you don't swear much, to be honest. No, I do. I, I swear quite a lot. Oh, really? But, but <laughs> the, the, the general feeling is I don't. I'm like, no, no, I think, I think I do quite a lot, apparently. But they were really shocked. They said, but 
you don't swear. And I said, oh, I think, and I say it wasn't in an angry way. It was just sort of in a sentence. And and the looks I got, I thought, oh, crikey. All right. Um, well, I'm not allowed to swear on this podcast because I think, did, did we or did you decide that it was family or orientated? I don't know what children are Actually, listening where, to this. <laughs> where did this come from? <laughs> we had a conversation the other day and I said something. I think it was about this other conversation we we had um and and I said well we can't talk about that and 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 then you said oh yes because you said it's a family friendly yeah. podcast you keep telling me it's and PG I, so that. I have to try and watch watch my language every now and again and I'm sure think, the when did I, when, keen listeners can hear me pausing when, to try and think of another word <laughs> every so often when did I ever say that I think right at the I beginning I've ever said that I think you just make things up sometimes. I think we have conversations at sort of weird hours of the night, depending <laughs> where we are and tournaments and where in the world. I don't think I ever said it had to be... I, I don't think I would ever probably swear in the podcast. I don't think... I can't imagine if I suddenly said to you, okay, it's like 18 rated, it's sort of adult-only <laughs> podcast. I, I, I can't imagine you suddenly like bursting out into this sort of expletive ridden rant. I mean, honestly, if 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 you have a burning desire to do that, then please do because <laughs> it might offend some listeners, but I would find it really funny. <laughs> but I just I didn't realize that you were having to suppress suppress it so badly. Just occasionally. I, I didn't know this was there. Just occasionally, and it's not that bad. It, it's not that bad. So have I got am I allowed to now? I mean, you're the boss. You, you, you've, you've always been allowed to. I, I don't know where the, the PG certificate came from. Well, I just Look, don't think we've got kids listening to this. We, we largely think. have dogs listening to us. If our yeah. Instagram account is anything to go by, we have it. You know, it actually says I am a, I don't know, I'm a rescue pup. I am a Labrador. I am a, I'm a, I'm a whatever I am. But we are largely followed by dogs on Instagram. I do hope there's also a few people who listen as well. I don't think any, I don't think any children do. My children definitely don't. I'm not sure they'd want to. So if, honestly, if you feel, um, I don't think I have to give you permission, but if you would like to swear, then Naomi, go for it. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, well, that's good. I won't just swear for no reason, but if it comes up, then yeah, maybe. Well, hang on, this might make make you swear. Um, I actually did a poll about you thinking that your name was unusual, which it's obviously not. Um, no, it's just not um, and I got a hundred <laughs> giving me that look <laughs> 186 votes and it came back 77% no it is not mm. and we had a couple of people on Twitter saying that's a lovely name never said it wasn't a lovely name it was just the point of and you you replied thank you very much it's a lovely name it's a lovely name it's just it's just not unusual so we have a conclusive 186 vote poll saying it's not. And I concede defeat. That's fine. <laughs> I will never, ever refer to Naomi as an unusual name ever again. Do you want to swear about it? Are you all right? 
<laughs> no, I'm all right, actually. But I will congratulate you on a hard-fought victory. So I, I, I kind of want you to now. Um, no, but getting back to the uh, getting back to the swearing, yeah. because one of the big things to come out of, of Charleston, I mean, I think it, some great stories came out of Charleston, but one of the ones that shouldn't have been a story that became a story that was on, like, news programmes was Sloane Stevens after losing to very good friend Madison Keys. She had this really good record over Madison Keys, an excellent record over Madison Keys. She swore in her press conference um, mm. a couple of times. And, and I mean, that's all, and is all I have to say. And it, and it suddenly became a news story. Oh my gosh, she's swearing. She can't do that, people listening. I mean, for me, it just shows that she's... So if you suddenly burst out swearing about some subject, it shows you're passionate about something. And I, I don't know, I just didn't... I can't believe it became a, a thing. And there were a couple of debates about it on Twitter. You know, should... If you're fined on court, shouldn't that apply to a press conference, et cetera, et cetera. But I just, I just think it's all a bit ridiculous. Completely ridiculous. So it wasn't even that, it was just not, it's not even that bad. And what I would say is in terms of the fining, I think it's different because in a match, there's nothing they can do. They can't bleep it out or anything. But I've been on Twitter and I've watched the match and I've seen all of the um, post-match interviews and this was one of them. I have not come across it without it bleeped oh really so oh, I've, okay. only, I've only seen it bleeped out I mean, i'm sure that it's there i'm not saying it's not there but i'm just saying that you know it, it just it can be controlled it's a recorded interview and it can be controlled it's just it's not a big deal i mean everybody's just got because we spend down. our time saying um, we want the players to be honest and we hate those players that come in and go into their shell and just give us kind of stock answers and, and aren't themselves. And then when they are themselves, and Sloane Stevens is, is one of those cases, when you think back, think back years and years ago, she was very outgoing, very outspoken. Then there were some comments made about Serena Williams and it all kind of kicked off and she withdrew into her shell and she didn't really want to talk to the press or say much. We want, we want players to be themselves and to show their emotion and to show that they're, upset if they didn't win or whatever's annoying them and she did and suddenly it's like oh I don't think she should be doing that all she's doing is coming in after a hard-fought match that she lost against a player very good friends off court but she's not she doesn't lose to this player and she's like I was really upset that I lost and then it becomes I just I mean I, I think you're right I think people have just got to calm down a little bit it's so weird I don't really know what it is about it is it because people haven't heard her swear before they must have because she's sworn in uh, on court coaching situations and she swears on court as well so it's not there's nothing abnormal about it I don't really get the hysteria around it I mean you watch any football match I mean it's just swearing from start to finish <laughs> It's just a, well, probably not quite, but yeah. <laughs> and that's just you talking about it. And, oh yeah. Um, and hang on a second, you so you swear a lot, but you just to confirm, you didn't swear. You never swore on court or in a press conference. Uh, not in a press conference, no. But I did. Yeah, I swore on court. I tried to mutter it under my breath, um, and then you had the little tricks that you could kind of confront the umpires on, and you. <laughs> especially if you've said it to yourself at the back of the court, because I, I, I didn't really ever shout anything. But <laughs> sometimes I would say something and then the umpire would, would pull me up on it and I'd turn around <laughs> and say, no, no, I didn't say that. I said, don't push it. 
Like I said, don't push it. But I just got louder <laughs> as I was speaking. So I just, it sounded kind of like, well, oh God, come on, Cav, just don't push it like that. <laughs> I didn't swear. And it was amazing to me that that never worked. Amazing. Oh, hang on, it didn't work. So they just, it never worked. Because <laughs> they actually knew what you was, you had an opportunity there to swear and you didn't. So I'm thinking that this whole PG family friendly podcast might have come from you. <laughs> I just feel really conscious of it now. <laughs> I actually don't know where this came from. Um, can I give you, I, I, I heard something. It's, um, it's a fact that I was told that I just thought was quite interesting. This is completely out of nowhere and doesn't link to anything. Uh, apart from my surname, actually, Salmon. But did you know, someone told me this this week, <laughs> that in the olden days, so I'm talking, you know, way, way back in ye olden times, it was illegal to handle a salmon suspiciously. Excuse me? <laughs> what? what are you talking about? <laughs> uh, we, do you know what? I gave you free reign with the ish. And you've just gone in a totally different direction. But it was, it was illegal to handle a salmon suspiciously. But so my, you, it was actually against the law. So what is suspiciously handling a salmon would be the question I put to you. Well, I think just handling one, really. I mean, if you're walking down the street, handling a salmon, that is suspicious. <laughs> Is it? If you're stroking a salmon, I think it's suspicious. <laughs> no. Okay, no, that's just odd. It's not suspicious. Why would you, why would you be stroking a salmon? Handling a salmon? I mean, there are all sorts of things you could do with salmon that would be unacceptable. <laughs> would, you, would you like to elaborate? On no, not really. Not really. I mean, I'm happy for this... Uh, this podcast to move from a PG up a, a rating, but I don't really want to go all the way. I just, <laughs> That's all right with you. I just thought I just thought it was great that it was actually you could be you could be arrested for handling a salmon suspiciously, and I was just trying to sort of put in context what that would actually be, or who would be in a position to to handle a salmon suspiciously. Brilliant. <laughs> That's brilliant. I'm disappointed that it's still not illegal to handle a salmon suspiciously because the poor salmons, they're now just being handled suspiciously, left, right and centre, and no one cares. Well, I'm wondering what you think a suspicious handling of a salmon is. Uh, no, I'm sorry to bring that in. I just heard it this week. Apology accepted. <laughs> Tomorrow, I, I'm sort of going back to front and all over the place. Um, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to end on clay. Great. If that's okay. <laughs> to sort of, if, if I could bring us kind of full circle or nearly full circle. It is quite exciting though. New new part of the season. I love it. And tomorrow I'm actually going to Roland Garros. Oh, that's exciting. Why? Do you know it doesn't start yet? <laughs> yes, I just, I, I'm skipping Monte Carlo, Barcelona, Madrid, Rome. Way too <laughs> just... excited about the clay. <laughs> Just I'm just in. going to Roland Garros tomorrow. I'm setting up shop. I'm not leaving until the tournament is over. Now, I'm just going over to um, sort out a few things ahead of the tournament to do with uh, Radio Roland Garros um, and RG Live, the two programmes I work on with and for the FFT. But I'm quite excited because we're underway with the clay. Tournaments are underway. We're talking about it on the podcast, which means it's, it's sort of it's happening. It's here. We've got Monte Carlo in a week's time. And I'm just, I'm intrigued to see how things are looking because last year, I don't know if you knew about this, but last year, 
They were knocking down Philippe Chatrier, the centre court, eight o'clock the next morning. So the final finishes Sunday night, nine o'clock in the morning, they were going to demolish the whole thing. So after the final on the Sunday, and Philippe Chatrier housed the, the media centre and the reception, they allowed all the media to do whatever they wanted, to write on the walls, to take a bit of the wall if they wanted. They were giving people hard hats. They could knock bits of the wall down. And I think it was it was quite emotional for a lot of people. And it was amazing. There was also wine, which is amazing. So wine, a hard hat and a Sharpie. <laughs> it's basically... It's like the most un-French thing and then the most French thing with the wine brought in. Like the whole kind of like, yeah, just destroy the place. Not very French open. But have some wine as you're doing it and it'll Have be a fine. glass of red wine. Here's your marker. And, and, and off you go, scribble on the walls. It was quite surreal, but it was, it was amazing, quite unique to see people writing messages. It could be that they've, they've covered every French Open, I don't know, since they were born. Or maybe it was their first one, or maybe it was a certain moment or a desk they'd sat in since 1900 and whatever. But it was, it was great just to see all these people sort of glass in hand, trying to A, finish off pieces and get everything done from the final but then just do whatever they wanted to because the next day it was being pulled. I thought it was a really nice touch from the FFT to sort of say, go for it, you know, tomorrow morning, this is coming down. So, and there were great pictures the next day of stuff people had written and bits people had taken from it. But anyway, that's long gone. So I'm going to be interested tomorrow. But hopefully they made it clear that that was a one year only thing and people don't turn up and just start graffiti (laughs) everywhere. People with a sort of, that would be concerning. <laughs> highlighters and sharpies tucked in, ready for the final to finish. Um, but I'm going to be, I'll report back in next week's podcast, but I'm going to be quite interested to see how everything's coming on because it, it's it's around the corner now. This is the build up to Roland Garros. So it's going to be really interesting to see how it's looking and where we're going to be. And we, we've got some plans, some tennis plans in the possible tennis plans in the pipeline for Roland Garros so it's uh, not it's it's going to be an early start but I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing it yeah it'll be really interesting to see what it looks like because the last picture we saw was probably about a month ago and it looked a long yeah. way away from being finished but they do these sorts of things do tend to get there somehow they 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 get there it will get done so I will um I'll report back on on what I see see how it's looking but I'll have to leave you now because it's a very early start in the morning to get there right and for next week as you i as you enjoyed my salmon fact so (laughs) (laughs) well i think i think enjoyed is not possibly the right word (laughs) but but i bet i bet the thing is about that sort of fact i bet you'll tell someone i bet you'll maybe even ben you'll say ben did you know in the olden days it was illegal to handle a salmon suspiciously Mm. yeah i'm not sure (laughs) I'm not sure whether that will make it into the the dinner conversation. I think it will. Right. I think someone's going to get that salmon fact. (laughs) To be fair, he would rather hear about that than hear my views on clay. So (laughs) So there we go. It'll be his favourite part of the pod. (laughs) Right. So I'll go and think of some more facts. (laughs) And I'll I'll report back on Roland Garris. And and I hope you're right bum cheek and your left shoulder feel better soon yeah okay i i I need a massage on my right bum cheek get get that going and take a picture from (laughs) philip chatrier i want to see what he looks like i will do (laughs) speak to you soon (laughs) goodbye okay bye